Welcome to The Skinny here on WMNF Tampa. My name is Ray Rowe. I'm the editor-in-chief at Creative Loafing Tampa Bay. Here with me is Ben Montgomery, an author, freelance journalist, and boat captain. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing... I love it every time you say that, Ray. I, well, uh, I, I, I love the story of, of you... You are literally licensed to, to drive a boat and lead tours. And I will say to our listeners, I know this is Radio Land. Ben has a sweet new earring in his left ear, and I like it. <laughs> and his uh, goals for me, um, although I've been discouraged by my um, significant others to not get them. Maybe my ears are too big. But you look very handsome in it, Ben. So <laughs> Quite by accident, um, but thanks. I should mention that Mitch, uh, he's still exiled in Tallahassee, um, covering the uh, legislative session for the nonprofit newsroom, Florida Phoenix. We hope to kind of check in with him mid-session, so maybe we'll we'll get him in There's here. There's a lot to catch up on. It's uh, interesting, <laughs> to say the least. Um, in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about the Tampa Bay Times closing its downtown Tampa office after 32 years, but right now we're going to head away from downtown. Uh, we are going to go over to Main Street, uh, up towards the beach, into a quintessential Tampa neighborhood, uh, West Tampa or Wed Tampa, depending on uh, how long you've lived here or your tempanioness. Um, in the new issue of Creative Loafing Tampa Bay, which is on stands now until next Thursday, former Tampa City Councilwoman Linda Salsena makes the argument that West Tampa's soul and spirit is on the line. Um, the neighborhood's borders, I should say, uh, for anybody who needs a refresher, uh, according to the West Tampa Chamber of Commerce, are marked by Kennedy Boulevard to the south. Uh, the Hillsborough River to the east, Hillsborough Avenue on the north side, and Dale Mabry to the west. That's a pretty big uh, border, and, and it's not the definitive definition, but it's the one that we went with uh, for that. Would you agree with that one, Ben? Interesting. I, I, every, I'm, right, I'm with you right up until Del, Dale Mabry. I think of that sort of section west of, like, Armenia and Howard. Maybe like MLK, like right? McFarland Park. No. A little uh, bit. Oh, we're going to talk about McFarland, actually. Interesting. Um, so, so his roots, uh, the neighborhood's roots go back to 1892 when Hugh McFarland, he purchased 200 ah. acres of uh, swampy land on the west side of the Hillsborough River and proceeded to develop it. Uh, Salsena wrote, he platted the streets, subdivided the land, built the first bridge across the river. Um, he when moved, was this? Uh, he moved pretty quickly. So by 1895, uh, check this out, more than 2,000 immigrants had already moved uh, to West Tampa. And he pretty much did everything he could to make that happen. He was donating land for parks, um, getting others to build buildings like the West Tampa Library. He even built a streetcar line connecting West Tampa to the rest of the city. So this was growing up uh, contemporary with the growth of Ybor City or just after? Just after. Okay. Uh, this is Linda. Hello. Yes, Hi. and our, that is so, our guest today. It's, it's Linda Salsena. She is a uh, Tampa City Councilwoman who served on and off in the 90s and early 2000s. She's, I feel like, on every board in the city and is a columnist for Creative Loafing Tampa Bay, where we are grateful for that. Linda, thank you for being here. It's a pleasure, and I'm an advocate for uh, good historic preservation and design. So. Could you answer Ben's question about, about its relation to Ybor and where it Absolutely. exists on the timeline? Uh, two years after Ybor City was taking off, Hugh McFarland, who was already in Tampa, saw the success and, and just ran with it. Hmm. Interestingly, he bought property from a black woman, um, Miss Mad Madame Fortune Taylor. Fortune Taylor. Yes. Okay, yeah. In, in order to build the bridge. 
that huh. he built to West Tampa. And it West Tampa grew like like crazy. Interestingly, in like 1914, the Centro Español built new headquarters both in Ebor and West Tampa at the same time. I'll be. And, and the people moving to West Tampa at the time were... Uh, the same folks moving to Ebor. They yeah. came from Spain, from Cuba, from Alabama. And were and those wonderful cigar factories also rising up in West Tampa at the same time? Absolutely, yeah. same time. And you'll see, uh, if you look at the, the tile on the floor in a lot of them, it's, it's similar in West Tampa as well as Ebor. They're a tremendous crossover. Oh, wow. Linda, so obviously West Tampa's been around for a while. Can you, I want to ask you this, like, why? Like, why are you worried about it now? Well, Ebor basically got torn down in the 60s with great society money and has been, you know, trying to revive ever since. West Tampa, fortunately, never got torn down. It's very, it's been very much intact. But suddenly, after being a, you know, lovely, sleepy, kind of stable-ish neighborhood for a long time, suddenly with the advent of Midtown, People are opening their eyes and saying, wow, there's this there's very well-located neighborhood. And, and a lot of the older homes, the casitas, are inexpensive to buy. So companies have come in and brought, bought a, a block's worth and torn everything down and built mm-hmm. mediocre beige houses. When, frankly, uh, it would be kind of great to either fix up or replicate the casitas. So it's, it's in a very delicate position with development pressures on all sides. Are there any historical preservation zones in West Tampa that would um, prevent people from knocking down those historic properties? Kind of. So you've got a couple of the cigar factories that are National Register, like one, and you've got the library. But basically... It's a national register district, which is a good thing because then you get tax credits, but it doesn't mean it's protected locally. And what we need to do is create a local district. And that's one of the reasons for writing the article, to make people aware, to say there's a ton of money that's sitting in the CRA budget, and some of it could be used to move that local protection up a notch. And we're already getting emails. Uh, Chip Weiner, uh, photographer. Um, during the pandemic, I feel like he really took this uh, this project on, and he was duplicating the historic Burgett Brothers photos. If you're not familiar, the Burgett Brothers were a company really documented Tampa throughout the early 1900s, and those archives are available online. But he sent us a picture of uh, Bexley's barbecue ribs and fried chicken here. It looks like Main Street right there next to Katrina's maybe. Um, looks really cool. And if you want to send us an email, it's dj at w- WMNF.org. Um, you can give us a call, 813-239-9663, or text 813-433-0885. Linda, I want to ask you, uh, you are Tampeño to the core. Um, um, can you talk about the West Tampa of your childhood and why you came to love the neighborhood? Absolutely. First of all, my dad uh, had an old cigar factory on the corner of Howard and Cypress. It's the one with the tower. Mm. So I went there as a kid. But my the big draw to me was the Lessie Bakery, where my mother said we got good bread as opposed to the grocery store. <laughs> and it, it smelled like heaven. Yeah. And also, um, it, it was just a kind of magical place, very different from Davis Islands, where I grew up. It had more personality. Yeah. It, it does. No, it does. And by the way, if you love Alessi, uh, this is kind of off the tangent. There's a Tampa cookbook now, and they have recipes from Alessi, Alessi in it. It's incredible. Um, Linda, you spent a lot of time on council. 
Yes. Um, you know, Irene answering phones here, she recognized you instantly from city council. Um, a lot of people have been beating the drum for West Tampa for a long time. Um, as a, I think I was in college. I remember reading a Cigar City magazine story. They did a lot of that. Um, and you actually quote Manny Leto in, in your story. Uh, and he, I think he was editor at the time uh, there. Um, so what is different about West Tampa's plight this time around than it was before? How it's, is this time unique? As we all know, right now, this area is on fire in terms of real estate development. And the advent of the Midtown development brought a lot of people's eyes to West Tampa who basically hadn't paid attention previously. So you've got, oh, and the JCC being built, I think, on Howard in the old uh, Fort Homer Hesterly Armory starting in 2016 brought people to the area who maybe hadn't hadn't really thought about it. And you've seen some new restaurants because of this, but the... The price of real estate is so high most places. And in West Tampa, it's still very, very low. So I think that makes it tremendously vulnerable. So it's a a mashup of uh, opportunities and vulnerabilities. And hopefully this article makes some people say, hey, let's, let's get on with protecting it even as it redevelops. And for those who aren't uh, familiar with Midtown, we're talking about uh, the commercial uh, hotel development that sits on Dale Mabry, just south of Interstate 275 South, um, uh, that's anchored by Whole Foods, a Whole Foods and REI, yeah. and maybe there's a hotel or two there. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And Cypress has been considered in the past a potential route for some kind of streetcar or, or transit that would go to the airport. Oh, interesting. And I'm sure if we pulled up the map, there probably already was a streetcar that went... Uh, Absolutely. Probably McFarland streetcar. It, yeah. it was. Um, so let me ask you something about, about this. Yesterday I was watching Tampa City Council, um, Linda, and there was this long quasi-judicial discussion, which I'm sure you really missed those quasi-judicial hearings. Um, but it was about just something real nerdy, just build two lines um, on a particular street, West Paris, I think, in Seminole Heights. And, and what they started to talk about, the, the petitioner, the developer was asking for a design exemption um, in that district um, that was a little bit, um, that didn't drive with, you know, what the neighborhood had laid out. Um, and they started talking about state statues that maybe preempted stuff. And then the lawyer for the developer also talked about um, kind of language in the city code that wasn't clear enough to, to mandate this kind of, um, development and and the city could not come in there. It was like land ownership. So the question is, what tools does this municipality even have to achieve what you see as protecting West Tampa spirit and and whatnot? Does the city even have those tools? We do. We have zoning. We have um, overlay districts that their overlays are a little mushy. What's really strong is a local historic district, like we have in Ebor and in Hi- and in Hyde Park and in Tampa Heights. That is really the gold standard, and it makes a difference. Every place where we've imposed. Uh, preservation tough rules the values have gone up the quality of what's built or ref- or refurbished has been greater some people are afraid of it i personally think it's it's protection it's it's a smart thing to do west tampa has discussed it over time there's a lot of uh ambivalence and and lack of knowledge about what it would mean. I'd love to see it in what's called the historic core which really centers on Maine and Howard. Um it's it's important. 
Do you know anything about what's going on uh, with the commercial district on Main Street? Um, the past five or six times I've been through there, it looks like a lot of things are sort of in process. There's some demolition, some construction, not a lot of open storefronts, it seems it seems like. Do you know anything about uh, that corridor? I don't know specifically who owns what and what they're doing. But the good news is, and it's in the Creative Loafing article, a guy who's a great, great uh preservationist, Hamilton Jones, who's done a couple of things in town, a number of things, is redoing an entire block that was Hugh McFarland's original law firm um, on on Howard. And they're putting back the windows and the and the recessed doorways and repointing the brick, new roof, all this stuff. That's going to be stunning. And it really can set a standard for commercial redevelopment in the area. And we're going to talk about this later. It also kind of sets a precedent and an example of how to properly use um, CRA money. Um, yes. Let me ask you something. You know, you talk about these casitas. There's some beautiful pictures of the casitas. I think we got one in the paper, and there's definitely one um, online. But those are single-family homes, right? So yes. how do you square this desire to preserve the spirit of the neighborhood with the very real uh, and affordable housing crisis happening right now? Oh, Actually, one of the best things you can do is not tear something down, not only in terms of affordability, but in terms of the environment, but fix up what's there. Some places, the the, the termites are just holding hands and that's what's keeping a place up. Sometimes (laughs) things have been maintained all along. But all I can say as as an older woman, is I wish you could do for people what you can do for houses. Man, spackle is it. You can you can <laughs> replace wood. You can you can really really make an old place look great. And as you know, as so many neighborhoods in Tampa are a hundred years old, one hundred and twenty years old, there's no time like the present to judge them up a little bit. And then it's affordable. And then it's affordable. It's cheaper to fix up an old house than to build a new one. Mm. And by the way, we're not endorsing you back of your house up, people. You still got to pass these uh, inspections and stuff like that um, out there. Um, by the way, if you're just joining us here on, on the skinny, our guest in the studio is Linda Salcena, who served um, as a Tampa City Councilwoman on and off in the nineteen in. <laughs> The 1990s. It's weird for me to say that. The 90s and the early 2000s. Um, she's talking about saving the spirit of uh, West Tampa, a quintessential Tampa neighborhood. We'd love to hear from you, uh, listeners, on this. So uh, either email DJ at WMNF.org, give us a call at 813 239 9663, or text 813 433 0885 to chime in. Linda, I, I want to ask you can you think of a Tampa neighborhood where the neighborhood uh, has lost its charm? Like, what would be an example of something that we could look to and say, we don't want West Tampa to become this? You know, I think of, I love going to the History Center and looking at old pictures of neighborhoods like Davis Islands and, and the plan for that, and but how it's kind of changed in certain areas and things like that. Is there a neighborhood that you'd, is, is a good example of the danger? The danger is too much, is that, you know, 10, 10 pounds of sand and a five pound box. And I think, Lord, Tampa Heights is coming back and I love Tampa Heights and Seminole Heights, but the ruination there was the widening of of Nebraska and Florida during the, you know, 30s and 40s and 50s, the, the number of car repair places, and then it's coming back, thank goodness. Now the pressures are much more, let's build something really dense, 
uh, where you've got a very low scale situation. I mean, honestly, Bayshore is very much to me at the tipping point of too much being built along Bayshore. Mm. Uh, we have a phone call here. Irene, thanks for sending this our way. Uh, Connie from West Tampa, you're on the air here on WMNF. Can you hear us? Yes. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I just want to say this, and it's because of my deep relationship uh, within the public housing arena. And not that this is the guest's fault, but it was kind of like the like hypocritical not to even address the issue of the forced removal of so many working class poor black people out of that area. We're talking about from the from the area where they're now building uh, uh, what, what what's called West Shore. I'm North, sorry, yeah, yeah, so North, yeah, North Boulevard homes. homes, which are and I think this is Connie Connie Burton on the yeah. phone, right? Mm -hmm. That's connected to the Rome Yard project. Correct. Many of those developments and new structure is not affordable, but it is always sprouted if they find fifteen families to come in there. That, that's the affordable piece that's tied to the mayor's uh, portfolio. And I think it is horrible now that when you look at Tampa, you would see the forced removal of so many black people that help build Tampa to what it is but can no longer uh, afford to live here or simply allowed to live here. Thank you so much, and keep up the good work. Thank you, Connie. And actually, Linda's article um, does talk about even the most recent history, the North Boulevard um, homes over there, which which were built. It was like there was a, a positive side of it, but then also it wasn't air conditioned. Like it also wasn't the great the greatest conditions. And then ultimately they were torn down. And as Connie alluded to, where did those people go? And and as Connie alludes to over there um, on the other side of the river, I guess over at, at Rome Yard and even uh, Encore and 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 those things are not Encore. I'm sorry. I can't think of the name of the development, but where that's being developed. And your article also does talk about the historical um, kind of divisions, I think is a word that, that we use, but it was more of a geographical kind of thing where different people, uh, the Latin population, the black population, where they lived in West Tampa. So um, what what is, can you talk a little bit about the history of, of the black community in West Tampa and, and the role they played there? Most of the most of the black community came. I mean, there was Madame Fortune's original property, but the, the real influx was in the fifties when you had sort of an upper middle and upper middle class neighborhood right around uh, the church on on Cass Street, who's Beulah Baptist, mm -hmm. and then the North Boulevard homes were built in forty seven, and those were originally really really nice and and people rotated through there it wasn't such a, a static population but th then in the 50s and 60s um one story more ranch style houses were built to the west of that aiming at um black residents and there were some really solid neighbor you know neighborhoods there which still are there but that that's exactly where the development pressures are because the land is so well located and um the former mayor uh, buckhorn you know made the deal with related to tear down that i which is i think what what connie was alluding to right 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 and pe people had some time to get out but where did they go and what kind of resources did the housing authority make available to them i mean they were forced to leave and it's it's a classic city development pressure thing. 
Yeah, and it's interesting the way it was all covered too, what you alluded to in, in your story. Uh, you know, I think the paper really skewed not West Tampa at the time. Um, there was kind of like a good old boys club at the paper, and they really talked about everybody except West Tampa. And then, you know, what Connie's saying is we're still kind of doing that um, um, at this particular time. We are, uh, the phones are lighting up, so we're going to try to squeeze all this stuff in here. Enzo from Hyde Park, uh, you are on the air. Hi, Mario. Good morning. Or, no, not Mario. I'm sorry. Ray. I was listening to the previous show. I got confused. <laughs> oh, we love the down and dirty guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to say that I'm one of the fortunate people that um, about 40 years ago moved into Hyde Park and was able to uh, enjoy the village and all its glory and being built and how the neighborhood evolved. I mean, there were a lot of uh, homeless people and, you know, drug-influenced people back then. Although, um, you know, now it's, I, ha- I bought a 1908 shotgun house and fixed it up and added some square footage, and it's just really a beautiful, really lovely, uh, you know, home. And, and it's nice to be able to fix up, you know, history. And we just got approved for the historical designation in the local district in January. So, whereas last year a lot of maybe a few homes were knocked down, now we're more protected, and I think that's good. Thank, thank you, Enza, for the call. And you know, it occurs to me that a lot of historical preservation activity is uh, conducted, led, uh, performed by women. Yes, uh, always has been. I'm thinking of, you know, the French Quarter in New Orleans in the 19-teens, and it was society women who stepped up and said, you're not bulldozing this history. Why is that? Because we have the time and the consciousness. In Miami, the whole fight to save the DECA was led by uh, feisty women there. Yeah. It's it's a question, I think, of, of time and energy. And uh, let's take another call here. Um, Nancy from St. Pete, you're on the air with WMNF. And enlightened men. Enlightened. <laughs> Some Hi, thanks of us. for taking my call. Hello. Hey, Hi, Nancy, Nancy, you're on the air here on WMNF. How are you? Hi. Oh, I'm just having a ball over here because, because uh, gosh, this is housing, housing in this area, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, wow, that's a great subject because are we listening to ourselves really think about it? The black district, the Latino district, the white district, are you kidding me? What happened to, what happened to, uh, you know, integration? What happened to everybody living next door to each other? You know, like we were all equal and stuff like that. No, instead we got development making wheeling and dealing stuff with our councilmen and everybody. And everybody's saying, like, this is normal. This is the United States of America. What the hell are we doing? What do we think we are paying lip service to democracy and not practicing it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for the call. And yeah, I think she speaks to a lot of frustrations about how, you know, throughout history, I think things have always been along a racial line and that's not always the ideal, but, uh, that's, uh, and we don't always see the forces at work in, in terms of why we wind up that way either, right? Yeah, I mean, you can uh, only see it after through the long lens of history, unfortunately. Sometimes it's so hard to, for people to speak to history as it's happening. Right. Um, Okay. Um, we're going to have some other guests on the second half of the show, but I still had a couple more questions here for, uh, for, for Linda. You know, thinking about um, Enza out of Hyde Park and kind of how happy she sounded. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, what, what wouldn't work. Conversely, is, is there a Tampa neighborhood that's preserved in a spirit that is really aspirational for you? Absolutely. I mean, Seminole Heights, some of Tampa Heights, definitely Hyde Park. 
it's it's uh, but but the ones that have legal legal uh, preservation, it's it really makes a difference. I mean, Port Tampa City has some great sea captain houses from the 1880s and 90s, but they're not protected. Mm. And the the neighborhood's trying to get the city to pay attention and protect them. And real quick, can you let's talk about this $20 million in the West Tampa CRA. That's a big number, right? What, yeah. what does it actually mean and how, if at all, will it be spent on improving the neighborhood? Can it be spent or is it tied up? How does it work? It is not tied up and it's up to the CRA advisory wow. committee to talk to city council and figure out how they want to devote it. And man, if I were, you know, queen of the world, I would... I you would, are queen of the world. <laughs> queen of the would, studio. Hey, I would, I would make low-cost uh, loans available to some property owners. There might be some of that. It could be a lot more. I do a lot of education with people on how to keep and maintain their historic homes. I spend the money cleaning up the alleys, which they're talking about, protecting the alleys. They're in, the, they are reinvesting and fixing up Ray Park and the park at Howard and Maine. That kind of stuff makes a big difference. If if people are listening right now and they want to plug into historical preservation, how 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 do you even pay attention to uh, what what's going on in your community and how do you plug into groups who are involved in that? I can't believe you asked. Thank you for asking. There's a new there's a new group called Preservation Roundtable. Everyone's invited. It's open. We meet the last Tuesday of the month at noon at the Tampa Union Station, and people air their concerns and figure out how to get support for their issues. It's a very collaborative kind of. Uh, do they, do any electeds ever show up? No, because there might be a zoning thing that okay. uh, invite, but we have city staff, okay. preservation staff, and the planning commission staff who did not use the words historic preservation once hmm. in their draft of a comp plan for um, for the city of Tampa, but now they're going to. Oh, wow. Right on. Well, that sounds so like... Oh. Sorry, once again, at Union Station, the last Tuesday of every month? Right, at noon. At noon. And we'll link to that um, in a blog post um, about Beautiful. this particular show with a link to the audio. Linda Salsena, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. I really appreciate that. Um, thanks for your time and your energy and, um, and for being here to talk about this with us. My pleasure. How thanks. can people reach you, by the way? Uh... Find you at a meeting. Uh, yeah, or, or, or via Creative Loafing. How's okay, that? Okay, perfect. Thanks. Every, perfect. Uh, the last Tuesday of every month at noon. At That's Union it. Station. That's it. Here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Ben, um, I want to talk about a place uh, here in the second half of the show where you spent a lot of time. Uh, the Tampa Bay Times Downtown Bureau. My second home. It was your second home for, for a, a long time. Did you ever sleep there? I napped. You napped, okay. At a minimum. That, that, that's sleeping, that's no, rest. No, I for sure slept. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think a lot of people in, in, locally in the media already knew that the paper closed its downtown tamp out post earlier this year. But I was just getting all these calls from people, so I emailed one of our guests today, and uh, Creative Loafing has a little post up about it. The interest is is really a, a testament to how much the paper is a part of the fabric of the community and people's collective memory, and, and really what it means to drive into downtown Tampa off of 275 and kind of see that big sign there and kind of know what's going on there. I mean, it really was a flagpole in the same way that West Tampa Yellow Water Tower is a flagpole for that neighborhood. Neighborhood, um, but the, the office Times closed. Building, yeah, it, well, it was. Yeah. It, that's what it's called. It's yeah. called the Times Building. It's right. a ten-story building um, in downtown Tampa. It closed this month or last month after thirty-two years in the neighborhood. Uh, the sign will come down, and the Times has a new Tampa outpost near Town and Country and the airport. Um, the Times also maintains its long presence in downtown St. Pete. 
but the paper is really embracing uh, the remote work world. It's, it's funny. I've written a lot of stories about the times and some a knock on Paul Tash was always he was too slow to embrace the future. But it sounds like Khan in here is, is really embracing the reality of uh, work from home. So joining us today are uh, Tampa Bay Times Communications Director Sherry Day is one of our guests uh, who is not uh, just also part of the editorial board there, but a longtime reporter. Uh, she started in her hometown in rural Georgia. Spent time as a reporter for the New York Times, then the St. Pete Times, and even uh, was the Brandon Bureau Chief and Assistant Metro Editor. Sherry, thanks for joining us. Okay, she's muted, but that's okay. Sherry's going to unmute, and then uh, we're, I was also want to say we're joined today by Tom Sherberger. Um, WMNF <coughs> listeners know him for his and Janet's uh, Wavemakers Public Affairs program on Tuesday, but Tom also spent 13 years at the Times where he started as a reporter. He was an editorials, Tampa City editor, state editor, uh, and dep- de- deputy metro editor. Before that, he was at the Orlando Sentinel and deputy, me- deputy metro editor at the Tampa Tribune. Tom, are you there? Thanks for joining us. I guess you're both muted, but I am going to continue to keep going here. What would this Tom, many be if it wasn't for uh, people being muted? It, well, that's the, the, this is the epitome of remote work, right? Like uh, we all are just not in, in-person people um, anymore. T- ben, tell me a little bit about your experience with that. You kind of had talked about being in that office and being like, hey, we're over here to the big guys in, in St. Pete. Yeah, what was that so, office so, like for you? So a lot of people had the sense, if you'd never been in that building, they had the sense that the, the, the entire building belonged to the Times because uh-huh. it's branded in such a way. But actually, it was just one floor, floor number nine, if I recall correctly. Uh, It was the whole uh, floor. The newsroom was about half of it. And it was always a rowdy kind of place. Uh, Maybe maybe that's not the right word, rowdy. I always thought of the Tampa Bureau as being sort of the stepchild of the St. Pete uh, Bureau of the headquarters. We were always trying to get attention of the mothership. They, in fact, called the St. Pete office the mothership. You guys were like the pimple. Yeah, wow! Well, like, <laughs> like, hey, pay attention to us over here. There's a lot going on in Tampa, and uh, y- you know, uh, always trying to get on the front page, always screaming for attention. And it works sometimes. Um, I think we have both our guests on. Tom and, Sh- uh, and uh, Sherry, are you there? Not yet. Maybe not. not and, yet. and let me ask you something about about the times. Do you remember this? When I was working at Bell's, I had a coworker. He told me that there was a lady on the ground floor of that building that made the most amazing cheese bread. Do you recall that at all? There was a rotation of, of uh, very quality concessions uh, through the place. I don't know if anybody remembers the Stage Door Cafe. This might be what they're talking about. Okay, uh, maybe that's what it was. The Cafe had some, yeah, C- Cuban cheese toast. It was very, uh, very good. They also made a good... Uh, sub sandwich uh, for the for the lunch crowd. I just saw Sean Kinnane scramble uh, across the room. Um, ben, let, let me ask you something about your experience there. You've had, a, you know, you worked remote. You did that thing for for Axios, so you've experienced kind of both sides of it. As you were working at Axios, did you did you long for the days of the newsroom, and and what did that longing feel like if if you did? Oh yeah, you know, look, the Tampa newsroom was always this 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 vibrant place where there was always a, a, a ch- an exchange change of ideas. Most often it was shouted across the newsroom. Uh, also, it was a place that produced a, a ton of talent. Uh, I mean, we're talking about Jeffrey Gettleman worked there, Jeff Testerman uh, uh, worked there, uh, uh, Dan Ruth, I'm sure, won, won some, of it, uh, some of his Pulitzer Prize winning columns, editorials out of there. 
uh, Thomas Lake, who went on to Sports Illustrated and is now at CNN.com. Michael Cruz was uh, in and now. out of there. He's a Politico now. Brady Dennis, who has, uh, is at the Washington Post, has written a couple of books with Bob Woodward. This was a talented a uh, bunch of a uh, bunch of people in that newsroom, and as a result, there were a lot of. Uh, There's always a sort of this free flow of ideas. I remember there was a quote wall. Yeah, uh, I heard one, about this. Yeah, one of the walls had uh, had printout quotes that had been sort of occasionally shouted out in the newsroom. Um, uh, I can't remember any offhand, but it was always fun to just go. There's a couple good threads on the internet where somebody had posted the, uh, the printouts. They're like printed out on the eight by like eleven white paper. It just oh, oh, huge yeah. type, like the quotes. Yeah, maybe some not suitable for the radio. Well, most of them probably not suitable for the radio. That's why they wound up on the on the quote wall. I think both our guests are here now. Tom and Sherry, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Cool, welcome. Welcome. Sherry, I want want to ask you a question. It's been eight years since you took the comms job at the time, so you definitely experienced some of that commute. Um, It had to be in an office, in the office. I believe it was the Tampa office. Um, You also fully embraced the remote work thing um, in in the pandemic. So I'm wondering, how much do you miss the office, and, and what does it feel like for you to finally get to this point where the writing on the wall kind of really met reality at the Tampa Bureau? Well, I'll say it this way. I don't know about what the writing on the wall meant. Give me a chance to answer that. Okay, okay, question. yeah, I'll explain it after. Um, but I would say that I I have worked, I started um, at the Times in 2004 as a reporter and um, was living in South Tampa, had a 15-minute commute. Then I built a house in New Tampa, and um, that commute in traffic turned into 45 minutes to an hour in traffic. I took different jobs throughout the company and um, some of those jobs took me to St. Pete, which was an hour and a half one way Mm -hmm. um, to get. So you can ask me if I miss commuting. I do not miss commuting (laughs) at all. Uh, But I do, I I always did not like to be in the car in the time that it took to get to work, but I love the people once I got there. So there is something that I miss about that, but I have a lot of found time that I'm able to, um, to do some other things with, and I'm very grateful for that. And um, and by the writing on the wall, I just meant, you know, everybody kind of knew that remote work is, that's the way it's going. I mean, our office, we're obviously a much smaller paper, but we're, it's tiny. There's two people in there. When there's four people in there, it's cramped. So people were going to be working remote anyway. I think at first we call it mo- uh, Mojo, mobile journalist. Uh, this is going, goodness, <laughs> going back to the early 2000s. I bet you Sherberger uh, remembers that word, Mojo. Tom, do you remember that word? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a fancy word for uh, reporters who didn't go into the newsroom. But, <laughs> right. you know, I, I'm old enough to remember when I uh, worked for the Tampa Times, an afternoon newspaper that folded in 1982. And I would go straight to City Hall in the morning or go straight to uh, the county courthouse where the county commissioners were. And they had a press room and I would go there and I would work. I would work from there often because it was an afternoon newspaper. And, uh, you know, we only had a few hours to get our stories filed. So. And then in the last six weeks, I was at the Times. I was there for 20 years. I was a business writer, uh, believe it or not. I can barely read a spreadsheet. But they made me a business writer. And uh, <laughs> I was spending learner. most of my time <laughs> I was spending most of my time writing in coffee shops. Uh, I just felt more comfortable there than going back to the uh, Tampa newsroom where I had been the city editor um, and editorial writer. And if you're just joining uh, so, us, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, so I'm working remotely is... is to me, it's uh, a normal thing, and you know, I used to tell my reporters when I was city editor, "There's no news in the newsroom. Get outside, go find some stories." Love that. 
Uh, yeah, it's 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 uh it's definitely a, a truism for sure. And if you're just joining us, those are the voices of Sherry Day and Tom Sherberger. Um, Sherry's still at the Times as Commons Director, been there for a really long time. Um, Tom spent 13 years there. Uh, we're talking about the closure of the Tampa Bureau. Um, Tom, to kind of stay with you, and by the way, we're getting emails and, and texts, by the way. You can email DJ at WMNF.org. You can give us a call, 813-239-9663, or text 813-433-0885. We have an email from David. Um, he wanted to say that the Tampa Bay Times of Spotlight Tampa Bay session on education at Tampa Theater was great, and he was very uh, impressed. He hopes the series will keep going. Uh, he also wants us to talk about the Tribune, but I, I don't think I don't know that we'll get there um, on that today. Um, thank you, David, for that email. Tom, I wanted to ask you, you, you kind of alluded to this long view of it, um, and you said it. Uh, news doesn't happen in an office. It happens on the street. Um, but can you shed a little bit more light about what that office was like for you and what it did for a newspaper team, especially one that you led uh, for a little bit while? Well, I mean, the Tampa office was a kind of small and, and mighty and, as uh, uh, Ben already indicated, full of talent. Uh, and it was, a, it was a great place to work. It really was. Um, and it also was away from the main office. So we had a little more freedom. We had, a, you know, we, there was a little bit of a us against them. And I'm not saying just against the Tribune, but even, you know, in St. Pete, you know, so we had a camaraderie there uh, that was unusual, but also newsrooms just in general uh, have a very loose, uh, very uh, collegial approach to working because, you know, you're sitting among a group of fellow reporters and you can hear what they're talking about and you can, you know, throw some ideas at their work, you can bounce ideas off of them. Um, that is missing now in the remote world. I mean, I'm sure you can do it by Slack or Zoom, but there's really nothing like um, just being in the newsroom and throwing ideas around. But of course, there's also a lot of time wasted where you're talking about, you know, last <laughs> night's episode of, you know, whatever TV show you were watching. Unofficial therapy. Or whatever. Unofficial therapy, exactly right. So I completely yeah, disagree, there's... Tom. There was, uh, I don't recall ever wasting any time. No, <laughs> <laughs> this is. <laughs> um, it, it is true. There's a lot of time wasted, and and there's a lot of things that you talk about that you wouldn't. You you mentioned remote work and, and Slack, um, Tom Sherry. I want to ask you a question. I know obviously you're not in every Slack channel for the Times, but thinking about remote work, the Times still has about a hundred journalists on the payroll. Um, Sherry, can you give us some insight into what that Slack channel looks and sounds like? Is it like traumatizing to hear all the bells and stuff going off? What what does that look like for you guys? Um, no, and I don't have any audio on my Slack. Okay. So that <laughs> but there are a lot of channels. There are channels on everything from breaking news, as you might expect, to photo. There's a channel called Praise where they, um, where the journalists will, you know, take a moment to give an attaboy to their uh, fellow journalists on a story that's been well done or an, or an effort one done. I'm looking at one right now. Um, there's a channel called Times Run Club. They're getting ready to uh, run the Gasparilla Classic and trying to whip people into excitement about that. There's a channel called Water Cooler where they talk about everything from who can recommend a good bet to, hey, want to go check out a band on Friday night. So there's still a lot of um, still a lot of sharing and socializing. It just looks different. Um, that's all. So our newsroom does get together um, once a week. 
um, in person, most of them, different departments. So every department may have a different day. But I know Tampa's day together is typically on Tuesdays. So even in this uh, post-COVID environment, you could go into the Tampa newsroom on Tuesdays and see most of the folks in there who reported to Tampa. And St. Pete's day is Wednesday. And so they will do that for meetings and things of that nature. But there's a lot more coming and going versus coming and sitting. Um, we, we just recognize that COVID changed the way that we worked and we could give that benefit to our staffers to allow them to work remotely. Most of them took it. Um, so there's just not a lot of people in the newsroom um, every day anymore. So we didn't need the space in downtown Tampa that we once did. Sherry, are, are you, I, can you can you give us a sense of what the Times real estate footprint is today? Is uh, 491st Ave South, is that sort of pretty much it in terms of office space? So we have 491st Avenue South, that's in downtown St. Pete. We've got our um, St. Petersburg Distribution Center. I think a lot of people think about the Times in terms of newsrooms, but remember that we are a full company and we have distribution centers as well. So we've got distribution centers in Largo. We've got a newsroom and distribution center combo up in Port Ritchie. Um, then we've got the new space out on Johns Road in Tampa. I was just over there this morning. So we've got an a suite of offices for advertising with the D.C. behind it and then a suite of offices for news with the D.C. behind it. So um, that's pretty much it. We've got D.C.'s in Wesley Chapel uh, with an office suite there. We've got DCs out in the Brandon Riverview area, so um, so we're we're still around in more places than you might think. Thank you, thanks, and, and Jerry, we're getting a lot of emails about the time, so you'll have to forgive me. I want to uh, be respectful <laughs> of of the uh, listeners here. And this is somewhat unrelated, but. What, they want to know about the two days a week thing. Uh, they said it still feels weird for it not to be a true daily paper, but what does the Times say um, about that and its future doing that? So I think you're asking about, they're asking about two days a week in print. Correct, and right. so that we are not a true daily paper because we are producing the news 24-7. Uh, we have tampabay.com and we invite people to go there. For those who prefer a more traditional newspaper reading experience, even though it's not in your hands, we have the e-newspaper and we've got good readership there. We'd love to have more. That really is a replica of our print edition. And so you can flip the pages. You can make the copy larger if you like. Our journalists are not working any less. We're probably working harder than they've ever worked before. Um, and they are producing news all the time. We're trying to bring it to you wherever you are. So if that's Instagram or if that's another social media channel, we're putting stories everywhere. We just want people to read them. So the stories are there. The work is there. You may not have the print edition seven days a week. And I don't think we'll ever go back to that. Um, we are pressing forward with digital and we invite everybody to come with us. And we have another email here from Rick. He said, it's kind of sad to hear about the closing years ago. Uh, the Times wanted to make a presence in downtown when the paper rivalries were going on. Um, Rick said he worked at the printing plant for 32 years until he was laid off um, right before COVID when they started shutting that printing uh, plant down. He said the Times has changed and they finally embraced tech to continue on. I've always embraced the quality of the newspaper that's been put out there. Hopefully the legacy continues for the Times and the vision of Nelson Pointer. Um, I don't know if either of you could, could speak to that, but what is it? It's kind of crazy to have a front row seat um, to the, how quickly the news landscape is changing and what the parts of a newspaper um, look like. There's less paper now. They still have people, thankfully, but there's also less people than there were um, at its peak. Do you, Tom or Sherry, maybe Tom first, do you feel like you're 
living through uh, what does it feel like you're living through as far as history and, and the way the newspapers are changing? Well, we're living through the death of newspapers is what we're doing. I mean, I had no idea, and, you know, Ben was there too, that we were living through the salad days of newspapers when they were making so much money. I, I worked at the Orlando Sentinel before I worked at the Tribune and the Times, and they decided to open a bureau in Tampa. <laughs> That's how much money they were making back in the 80s. Yeah. And now we're at the point where, you know, um, we can't support even one daily newspaper in this big media market. And it's all about advertising. The advertising market shifted toward uh, the Internet and newspapers are making pennies on the dollar uh, for every ad. And uh, it's, it's difficult to sustain that. And there's, the Times is still doing great work. Uh, the story that they published this week online about Publix and its role in uh, the, um, the drug abuse crisis that we had is, is astonishing work. It's very good. But, you know, they don't have the, the reporters on the daily beats, the daily assignments that we used to have. I mean, I, when I first started at the Times in uh, 1992, I was covering the county government and I wrote two stories on my very first day. Um, and that was that was very common. Jennifer Orsi, who became the managing editor of the Times, eventually, uh, she was every every county commission meeting. She would write three stories, and um, there was a lot of space to fill, obviously. But we had a lot of reporters, and uh, that kind of daily uh, coverage is unfortunately is, is missing, and that's that's what's lacking. I think I I really am agnostic regarding whether it's in print or online. I prefer it online i i just I, I don't really care about the print thing I, I i you know i wish it was being printed more often but what i want is is journalism and uh, uh the times is still delivering solid journalism it's it just can't deliver as much of it anything to yeah, say I, to that jerry yeah i think um i i think Tom for it's it's funny to call him Tom. So he's just saying Sharberger, but I, I <laughs> why think, people call me by my last name when there's so many so many letters, but okay. <laughs> I don't he'll always be my hurricane editor. So um, <laughs> send send us all out. Too. Oh yeah. <laughs> hurricane team. Oh yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah. Um you know, I, I think he's right that um, newspapers have changed a lot and it is it is something as you said to have a front row seat to it, but we are we we're in the market. We're working hard. I love that you're agnostic, Tom, on the medium, um, but that you care more about the message and what we're putting out. And so, um, you know, you mentioned that public story that was in print online. I think last Thursday and in print on Sunday. Um, so we are still getting those stories out, but there there has been tremendous change. But we still have a dedicated band of journalists who believe in this work and who believe in the mission and who are like the reader who wrote in who said, I, I worked at the plant and I believe in the times and I want you to keep going. And that's what we're doing. So though we've gotten smaller, we are still passionate about what we do. We're putting out good work. Um, and I do want to say this. I'm going to use this opportunity to say this, although we um, we. We don't have as many reporters. They are dedicated. The work that we put out is stellar. You can look at the public story he referenced. You can look at Kratom or any of the daily stories that we do. But in some ways, we're growing. I'm not trying to tell you that newspapers, that we're going to be seven days a week again. But but I am excited about some things we're doing. And one of them is that we're coming back to neighborhood reporting, which is uh, where I started almost 20, 20 years ago this summer at the Times. I started working for City Times. 
through our sister company, Tampa Bay Newspapers, we put out something called The Beacon, and they are weekly newspapers, and we've got them growing in Hillsborough County. We're super excited to have them in West Jason and Carrollwood and New Tampa and Wesley Chapel. We're in Temple Terrace, and we're on the march. So um, we're not going away. We may look different, but we are still here. Are these paper papers, Sherry? They're paper papers. They are delivered um, to home delivery customers with their Wednesday newspapers. And we have some 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 drops uh, where you can find them. But if you subscribe to the paper, we will bring it to your door every Wednesday. I'm happy to do it. Happy to help you do that. And that remains an amazing thing. What else can you get? I mean, I guess you can get anything anymore delivered to your door with Amazon. <laughs> but what else can you get, uh, you know, at that time of the morning? It's waiting for you. And let me just say a word for the paper paper, uh, even though both of you guys are okay just re- reading digital. I feel like my world has been uh, discombobulated and disordered since the newspaper, as I knew it for most of my life, not all of my life, but certainly for the past 25 years as a reader of American newspapers, when it stopped showing up at the end of my driveway uh, every day, it was disorienting. And I remain in a state of disorientation because I can't. And everyone says, oh, you can do the same thing online. But it's and I imagine I could flip open the PDF version and look at the paper itself as it was laid out. But there's something about walking out to the edge of my driveway in my bathrobe in the in the in the in this in the earliest uh, uh, light from morning and picking up that newspaper and it was like the touching of the wood of democracy for me i might see a neighbor out there i might see a jogger passing by uh, but i said every day this is my routine here i am a participant in this messed up experience called american democracy Uh, doing my part, picking up the paper and going inside to learn about what happened in my community the day before. And I don't get the same experience reading online uh, without that paper every single day. Um, I I would say that, you know, we know that we we help people break a habit and now we're trying to introduce them to a new habit. So I would not be doing my job then if I did not say download the Times newspaper app. (laughs) I was just like you. I still prefer... Paper days. Paper days are Wednesdays and Sundays. Yeah. You can get it delivered to your driveway or you can go to Publix and pick it up um, or, or other gas stations and the like and pick it up. But um, I have I find that when I wake up in the morning, I like to say I say my prayers first. But let me also be honest. I reach for that phone. I reach for my phone and, you know, I start clicking around looking at things. And so I have developed a new habit of reaching for that phone, clicking on the Times newspaper app. And flipping those pages, seeing what's going on. And sometimes I have to tell you, I even do it on Wednesdays and Sundays. I'm still going to go out there, get that paper off the driveway. But I, I often have looked at a lot of it online first. Well, I, I hear you loud and clear, Sherry. I'm uh, I'm trying to come around. I really am. Yeah, looking at Ben, he doesn't look that old to me, you know. It's sad. It's sad. Every, sometimes I go out on Tuesday. I'm like, what am I even doing out here? You know? <laughs> um, hey, Tom, well, uh, by the know, way, Sherry doesn't want to yeah. hear this, but let me just throw this out there, Tom. Do you think there's a market for a little competition here? If somebody rose out of the blue to deliver a daily newspaper again? No, I don't. No. I don't think. It would never no, I work. Mean, no, I mean, the reality is that the business of newspapers was not, is not, journalism the business of newspapers is advertising because that produces the revenue that supports the journalism 
And so you have to find another model to support the journalism if advertising is not it. Now, the Times has lots of pop, uh, competition online. I mean, Florida politics, I hate to tell you, Sherry, but what Peter Schorsch has created there has taken a lot of money out of the Times. And I hate to say that, and I hate to say that it has happened. But the Times was focused very much for years on trying to save their print product and neglected the web. I spent five years on the website evangelizing the newsroom. Oh, you were on the first Now Desk, weren't you, Tom? Created the Now Desk, Ben. That's right. Yeah, I I did five years. Last five years, I was focused on breaking news. And and it was a challenge changing the mindset of the newsroom to a web-first mentality. Don't wait for your press conference to, 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 you know, you have a press conference at 10 o'clock in the morning. You know, you take your time, you go to lunch, you talk to your editor, you spend all day writing that story, you deliver at 5 o'clock. That was going on uh, uh, even when I started the Now Desk with uh, Pat Farnan, who was a great assistant managing editor. Sherry, do you want to say something? Oh, go ahead. No, and I just said, I, I do think that there are times where I get frustrated that, they they still are 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 print first and not web first and and i would i i if there's one thing i could change at the times i i tried for 5 years it is to let's get that stuff on on let's 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 be as proud about beating someone let's be as proud about beating peter shorch in florida politics as we are with some of the great you know a big investigative pieces we got about a minute and a half Sherry. do you do you want to respond to that Things to say. Uh, so I'm going to go fast. One, Tom is absolutely right. I was a reporter in the newsroom and we were very resistant. I can speak for myself to going, you know, give me a line for the web. I didn't want to do it. I wanted to like <laughs> That was probably me asking that. <laughs> so, I think maybe it was. But anyways, um, so he's right. He's right about the past. I don't think he's right about the present. We are definitely web first. We are definitely digital forward. We are. And I could point to so many stories to tell you where we've smoked the competition because we're out there. We don't have a, a product to go print first seven days a week. So just by our very nature of what we have now, we are web first. Um, but I also want to say, because I came on to talk about the Tampa Bureau and the relocation, the fact that we change office locations doesn't hasn't altered the number of journalists who cover Tampa for us. The same number of journalists who were focused on it before are still doing the job. And I just want to ask people to check us out, tampabay.com. Give us a read. We are your hometown newspaper, and we, we are on the job. Thank you. And we, we definitely read a lot of you, Ed, over in the Creative Loafing office, too. And, and we react in different ways, you know, uh, positive. We have criticisms, all that stuff. But we read that paper um, every day. So I just want to thank both of you for coming on. Tom Scherperger, Sherry Day, thank you for coming on to talk to us about the closure of the Tampa Bureau. Um, you listen to WMNF Tampa here. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Please stay tuned because in the studio app, Sean Canan, are you host? No. Joe Allen is coming in. I see Mitzi Joe Gordon in there. Uh, I think she's going to be talking about these cars that they're painting in Ebor, Carmada. Um, really cool stuff. Speaking of the trip, Mitzi Joe Gordon had a crazy publication that she put out for a long time, and, and it's gone now. But if you can find that, I want to see it. Please join us again next week on behalf of myself, Ray Roa, Mitch Perry, who's not here, my favorite boat captain, Ben Montgomery, Skip Sassy on the board, and Irene on the phones. Thank you so much for joining us um, today, and we'll see you next week, uh, God willing. <laughs>